Okay, let's get this dermis done. So once we get this done, we have uh, inflammation and healing, and then we're into the cardiovascular system. All right? So the, we talked about the epidermis. It was kind of dead, right? There was, um, on, the, on the deepest level, our cells that do divide, that replace. Remember, they migrate upwards, and that as they reach the apical surface, they become more and more keratinized to the, to the point where all it is is a cell membrane and keratin, and that's it. We said that uh, where do the cells of the lowest level of the epidermis get all their needs met? And it was through diffusion of the, of the lower layers, okay? So when we think of the epidermis, I like to think of it kind of as the dead layer, shall we say, whereas the dermis is actually the live layer. Has anybody here, well, I've got some pictures here, but imagine, if you will, a really bad blister that you've had, yes? Okay, so that white part that's filled with fluid that's actually the epidermis that is peeled away from the dermis. So the dermis has, has ended up causing edema, which pushes up against the epidermis. And the friction that's caused the blister in the fir first place actually minutely breaks the epidermis away from the dermis. So if you've ever had a blister where you've actually peeled the blister off, it's been so bad that when you take your shoe off, it's no longer even filled with fluid. You've actually torn it, and you get that real pinky kind of color. You've actually, the white part of the blister is the epidermis, and that fleshy-looking red pinky stuff is actually the dermis. Yeah. Okay. So, it is, um, the dermis is very strong but flexible. It's a connective tissue layer. And what do we find in here? We find cells, because it's alive. We have fibroblasts, which do what? Make? No. Fibroblasts. What's the name tell you? Is a blasted is a creator? Fibro is fibers. Remember, it's fibers that make up connective tissue, reticular or elastic or collagen. Fibroblasts create that. Okay? Macrophages are right? They, they like to munch. They're like Pac-Man. You run around and eat anything that's bad. Occasional mast cells, we'll learn about those a bit more in, in uh, inflammation and healing. And white blood cells, which are the sort of the first line of defense, first line of defense, second, third line of defense um, of, of the immune system. So its matrix has collagen, elastin, and reticular in it, which would make sense, right? If you think about the amount of um, of stress that skin goes through every day, walking, moving, you know, rubbing when you're putting clothes on or whatever it may be, uh, you need you need this. In other words, to have strength to have uh, resilience, to have tensile strength so it can bend and twist and turn and, and still keep intact and still keep together. The dermis binds the entire body like a stocking, and this is your hide. This is what they make leather out of. So if you think of leather from an animal, it's actually the dermis that they make the leather out of. Uh, it's richly supplied with nerve fibers, blood vessels, and lymphatics because it is alive. And as we took with um, the previous set of slides, this is where we find oil sweat, and sweat glands and the hair follicle, which is, if you remember correctly, the live part of hair. We did do that, right, last week? Yes. Yes, so this, you know, the follicle meaning the part that's under, underneath and deep in the skin. There are two major layers to the dermis, something called the papillary layer and the reticular layer. Now, there we are here. This, if we were to peel the most superficial layer of the dermis off, you would see all these pimple-like things sticking out from the reticular layer. And that would make sense because when we think about any kind of papillary 
configuration where we have, you know, waving and so forth, it increases what? Right, service area. So <clears throat> we want lots of service area. Um, what do you do when you want to glue something down and you want it to last a long, long time? Sorry? Okay, what do you do before you put the glue on? Uh, sand it. You sand it. You make it rough. Why? It increases surface area because you have scratches that, that the glue can go deep into and superficially. So by actually using a fairly coarse something to scrape and scratch, I, oh, that might not be good. And it, it went screen down too. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> that didn't sound too good when it went down. Anyways, uh, increases surface area. So, the papillary layer is the most superficial. It is connective tissue in which the fibers form a woven mat. There's lots of blood vessels here. It's thrown into nipple-like projections that are called the dermal papillae. Remember, papillae means nipple, or papillae means nipple. And it, what it does, it ends up with indentations in the overlying epidermis. And they contain, each of these papillae contain capillary loops, free nerve endings, and touch receptors. So remember, you know, when we, way back when we first did skin, what we found in a one centimeter by one centimeter piece of skin. And there's all kinds of afferent nerve fibers in there that are sending messages back to the brain of the temperature that, the, that, that it's feeling or the tickle that it's feeling. So you have temperature, you have pressure, you have tickle, you have vibration, you have pain. So any combination of those results in quite a number of the things that we tend to feel through our skin. And all those nerve endings tend to lie into these papules. So we see here, um, this is the epidermis here um, in the brown. This is the papillary layer of the, of the dermis below. And we see these indentations. And you'll note that within these, we either find nerve, uh, nerve endings or we find blood vessels. And the nerve endings represent a number of various things. When they're open like this, this is a pain receptor. Pain receptors are known as open-to-end receptors, whereas touch tickle receptors actually have a configuration that is sensitive to either touch or tickle, whereas pain receptors just look like the branches of a tree that just kind of end. Uh, the palms, the soles of the feet, the papillae lie atop larger mounds called dermal ridges, and that's what gives you your fingerprints. Okay, these whirls. I'll repeat, on the palms and the soles of the feet, the papillae lie atop larger mounds called dermal ridges, which produce the looped and whirled ridges in the epidermal surface. These ridges actually help you with grip. They actually make you a little grippier. Anybody here ever tried smooth rubber gloves as compared to texture rubber gloves? The difference for gripping? You, know, you ever noticed? Yeah, construction guys will use like a ridged glove because it grips, grips better, right, instead of just smooth. The patterns are genetically predetermined. Due to sweat pores opening along the ridges at the crest, we leave fingerprints. So that's what happens is no matter how dry you keep your hands, along those ridges are the are pores of sweat, and they're a bit lipid-based. So when you touch something, you do leave minute amounts of your oil behind in those patterns of your fingers. And then if you do something terribly wrong and the police have to investigate, they use a very fine, fine powder and makes those whirls just show up because that powder attaches to the oil, not to the structure that the oil's on. So the papillary layer is in the dermis except for on the hands? 
No, no. It just there's more specialization on top of those that result in. So what we're saying that is that we when we look at the palms and soles of the feet, the papillae the papillae lay on top of mounds. So if you were to um, go back here, that there would be a, a specific mound here that would go all the way up and cause a mound on the epidermal layer as well. Yeah, it pushes all the way up. So, so you still have papillae, but where the hands and feet are below, those are even larger mounds that push right up through, result in those those things that you see under the skin. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. Yep. So we see it here in this drawing. You see just how extensive these papillae are as compared to the superficial layer. So the deeper layer have these papillae. Um, the reticular layer is the thicker layer of the dermal part of the skin. So it's about 80% of the dermis. Usually this is where we find the dense irregular connective tissue. There are thick bundles of collagen here, and they all run in different planes in different directions. But the majority do run parallel to the surface, which would make kind of sense, right? If I had skin like this, why would I want connective tissue like that? That doesn't make any sense. So pretty much they all run parallel, but just in all sorts of different directions. Um, less dense regions between these bundles form lines of cleavage or tension lines. Get back to that in a second. So where you have less density of collagen fibers, you end up with what are called cleavage or tension lines. They run longitudinal in the skin of the head and limbs and a circular pattern around the neck and trunk. So think of when we think of wood, what do we say when we look at wood? What are you looking at? The grain, exactly. This is our grain. So in the head and the limbs, it runs like this. In the trunk, it run, they run like this. These circular lines run this way. Um, the reticular also is where we find uh, collagen, which is the water which helps hydrate the skin, and that's something we need to remember. Collagen binds water and gives strength to skin. Okay? And what do we lose as we get older? Collagen. No matter what you attempt to do, when you get older, you lose collagen, even if you spend thousands of dollars on those supposed special creams and all that kind of stuff. So what does grandma's skin look like? Is it strong and resilient? No. Grandma's skin is going to tear really easily as compared to yours because she's missing collagen because she's not producing as much anymore. So it becomes that very thin-looking, very very brittle-looking skin. Um, you might so notice that grandma uh, tears very quickly, so any kind of bump or movement, instead of just a bruise, they get a bruise, and the skin will also tear. Extreme stretching can tear the dermis, which then results in striae or stretch marks. So if I stretch the skin long enough and significant enough, I actually start to tear some of those collagen, uh, by, uh, those collagen bundles and end up with spaces between the bundles because the bundles won't migrate back again. So you end up with these areas where there is no collagen, and that is known as a stretch mark. A blister is the separation of the dermal and epidural regions. And when we look at these flexure lines, it reflects dermal modification. And we tend to see flexure lines that are obvious on the wrists, palms, soles, fingers, and toes. And what do we call flexure lines on the hand? Or what do we call when we study the flexure lines of the hand? 
palm reading, right? Palm reading. So those lines that you see in your hand are called flexure lines. They come from the crease the skin does just when the, when the fingers flex and contract. They don't mean you're going to live longer and have five lovers. They, they don't mean that, you know, you're going to be some sickly or rich or whatever. All they mean is you make a fist, your skin creases because of those flexure lines. And allows, those flexure lines also allow skin not to get the way when we grip. Imagine if skin just kind of hung loosely on your hand every time you tried to grip. Do you ever pinch yourself? Weightlifting sometimes where this extra skin gets tucked underneath and you didn't think it was there and you push on the bar and you're like, ah, what the heck is that? They're starting to because inside mom they've already created hands and they're already gripping and grabbing at that time. Uh, generally, these flexure lines occur at or near joints where the dermis is tightly secured. So you have certain areas in your body where you have uh, skin that it's very tightly connected. Otherwise, what would happen to your skin through time and gravity? You would end up with all these wrinkled, collected skin at your ankles because all your skin would slowly just kind of fall down, right? Because it's all connected. So sacrum's very connected, tips of the spinous process is very connected, palms of the hands, and so forth. We have areas where the skin gets stuck a little bit. So these are stretch marks, okay? This is kind of what you normally see, you know, maybe uh, post-weight uh, loss, maybe post-pregnancy. This is a little more pathology, pathological. You tend to see these kind of striae in people with, with uh, liver disease. You get, again, you get collagen breakdown, but ultimately it's all the same. You actually end up, what's, what's happened in the middle, if we even use the one more common type, there's no collagen in this area. The collagen has been torn apart for whatever reason, and there's some collapsing of the skin tissue at those points. No, because it's not skin tissue anymore. It just kind of rips apart and it gets, right? Um, all those, although um, you can get some colorization, I mean, they can look like this. And anywhere in between, between completely clear and dark purple, I've seen uh, stretch marks of all different colorations in people. I once, I used to treat a lady, young lady, this is many years ago, she was in Newmarket. A uh, very, very attractive young lady, probably 20-something, and she came into my office, and she had a connective tissue disorder. I literally, when she was on the table, I could take the skin on her back and pull it all up like this. Her entire body from her clavicles to her ankles with stretch marks. All the connective tissue in her body had broken down and it was just, she looked like uh, Sharpe, right? Just her skin no longer had the uh, tone to hold in place because she had this connective tissue disorder and just stretch marks everywhere. And oddly enough, just because of the way the head is, there was absolutely nothing here. So you had no idea. Couldn't ever figure out why she always wore long sleeve t-shirts or any kind of shirt. But yeah, from here down was just Big purple striae everywhere all over her body. Absolutely everywhere. And it was all just connective tissue from a connective tissue disorder. Yep. Uh, no, it's just a different color of striations here as they're, as they're healing. But these are significantly wide. Like, that's fairly significant between bundles, right? Yeah. It's just the way, for whatever reason... Um, and he could be that he was extremely obese and had lost weight. Uh, this is kind of what you normally see as sort of post-pregnancy. Or not even that. I mean, you get such a variation of it, and it's all based on genetics, right? How much collagen your body holds, how resilient your collagen is. I mean, I've seen young ladies that, you know, 
are in relatively good shape, never had children, have never been overweight, and yet they have stretch marks. Can be. It's also genetic. I mean, if your mom's covered from head to foot, you're, the chances are you're likely going to as well. But pregnancy causes it, so breast tissue from the enlargement of breasts, the stomach, uh, the inner thighs, all those can can be very much affected by just pregnancy and, and having them left over. And weight loss. I mean, if someone was extremely obese and they've lost weight, not even extremely, really, even um, um, a little bit overweight, they, they can be having that effect, and then when they lose the weight, it kind of shows up. Uh, there's a blister. So you can see here where this is filled with water. And this light part is the epidermis. Underneath would be the dermis, which we see here. That looks like that would hurt. So, yeah, so, so this is quite literally through friction. The epidermal layer is actually it filled up with water, which uh, did damage to its integrity and, and continued with friction until eventually it just tore right off. We've all had this. It's just interstitial fluid. So it, it, it's um, some of it also comes from inflammation because you are you are irritating the tissue. And we'll get back to that in the next set of lectures. That'll make sense. It'll make a bit more sense. Uh, sometimes people ask about tattoos and uh, where does this ink go? Why is it that in tattoo ink you can't remove that ink? It's because that needle penetrates into the dermis and injects the ink into the dermal part of the skin, which means it can't leave. You actually are sticking in. This is why you know one needs to be extremely careful and extremely particular of what tattoo shop you choose from because if those tools are not clean, those needles are going down into the dermal layer. Chances for infection, hepatitis B, AIDS, and so forth is quite high unless you're quite sure that your tattoo uh, store is, does really good um, uh, infection control things as far as that goes. Never. What? So, well, two, re two reasons could be. One is that you got ripped off, you had a shitty artist, and he didn't put the ink deep enough or enough in, because that can happen. Because my, my one daughter had one here, and in fact, I just talked to her, she just had a change last week, and it is faded. And, and she has some beautiful work done on her chest and shoulder that is just the same age. So some of it has to do with the inks they're using and the depth they use and time they spend. You really shouldn't lose it anywhere in your body because it should be in that dermal layer, which is not really cellularly changing like the, epi like the um, epidermal layer is. So, so people actually put tattoos on the soles of their feet. Yeah, but on the under part of his big toe. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, I'm talking about the plantar surface. Really? Well, Rob, Rob that's going to teach you in the next semester or the semester after, he actually, his wedding band is actually a tattoo. Yeah, it is quite common now. It wasn't at the time he had it done. But, but yeah, I mean, but I've never, I, I once dated a girl and uh, she was having a relatively large tattoo removed on her lower leg. It was uh, quite colorful, wasn't well done. She did it when she was quite young, and she decided that it wasn't appropriate and she wanted to get rid of it. And that's the other thing. Even with laser treatment of getting uh, tattoo removal, yeah. There were, I can't remember which color it was. I want to say red. 
I think it was red. It would just become lightly pink. Yeah, it would just become lightly pink. But what happens is the laser blows up the pigment, and the hope says the body absorbs it. What I didn't realize, well, we had a date one night, and she'd had a, a treatment that day. She had a massive four-by-four bandage on her leg, and it was soaked in blood. I didn't realize like a um, tattoo removal with a laser actually causes a lot of blood loss. Like It bleeds pretty significantly. Yes. Yes. Because the old way of removing tattoos was surgical. So they would put you to sleep with a scalpel and they would scoop it out. I mean, nowadays, nowadays you have tattoo artists and my, my daughter showed me a couple of things. Beautiful artists that can take an existing tattoo and turn it into some amazing thing you wouldn't even know the original tattoo was even there. Don't ever get don't ever get a tattoo of your girlfriend, your boyfriend, or your husband or your wife. The only dates you ever put on are your children because you know that they're always going to be around. Yeah. Um, so, same as hair, uh, there are three pigments which are involved in skin color: melanin, carotene, and hemoglobin. Okay. Melanin comes from an amino acid called tyrosine. And it is yellowish to red-brown to black. It requires synthesis on an enzyme called tyrosinase, which is produced in the melanocyte. And remember that it passes from the melanocyte to the basal keratinocyte. So in the dermis, you create this pigment, which then goes into the keratinocyte, and the keratinocyte then has, remember, these branches out to each, or sorry, to the uh, melanocyte, which has branches out to the keratinocyte, and it pigments the keratinocytes, which eventually, of course, work their way up to the top and become, become dead and slough off. Racial difference is the result of both the kind and amount of pigment. That's the only difference between all of us when it comes to skin color is just how much pigmentation we have and, how, and where we find it. Freckles and pigmented moles are accumulations of melanin. So why do redheads have more freckles? Because they have so little melanin? Like I, yeah, it's a good question. I really, I'm really not sure. I used to say that my mom and dad threw uh, mud at me through a screen door because I was your quintessential kid, red hair with you know freckles all over his face and whatever. Uh, as a bit of a side story, I was actually talking to one of the guys in the gym last week and was very thankful for his massage therapist because it was his massage therapist that discovered that he had cancer on his back, skin cancer on his back. So he had no idea. A mole that some kind of change, yeah. Carotene is, where do we find carotene? Carrots. Carrots. And what color are carrots? Orange. Right. So yellow to orange pigment. It's a rich source of vitamin A. It accumulates in the stratum corneum and the fatty tissue of the hypodermis. We tend to see more yellowish-looking color in the palms, the feet, and the soles because of the thickening of the corneum. It also can accumulate when large amounts are ingested. So if you eat too much carrot, what color do you turn? Yellowy orange. No, they were kind of yellowy. They were yellow-red. Interesting. I like the purple one. Oh, interesting. Hemoglobin. No, it's good. It's trivia. Um, it is hemoglobin that causes the pinkish hues, and it's a result of red hemoglobin in the red blood cells that circulates through it. 
obviously we tend to see the pinky color more in Caucasians than we do in uh, um, all the other variations of skin color, which kind of makes sense, right? In a low oxygen environment, the skin may actually become blue, known as cyanosis. If we're looking, the question would become, in a darker skinned person, if they were cyanotic, how would we know they were having problems with oxygen exchange and so forth? We look behind the lip and in the nail beds. Like that. So do you think a, a black individual can look pale and not well? They can. You actually can see a paling of the skin, even if they are very dark. So disease states and color, because that's a kind of important. Uh, some disease, disease states can make a significant change in what color you are. Redness, also known as erythema, obviously could be embarrassment, fever, hypertension, inflammation, or an allergy. Pallor or blanching, meaning white, could be emotional stress, anemia, or low blood pressure. Have I done my anemia trick with you guys? Yeah, with the ring? Did I? Yeah, I did it. Okay. Jaundice is yellowing, and usually that is a representation of liver or biliary disorders. So what happens is one of the things within the liver is that it actually gets rid of pigmentation. And when you have liver disease or the liver uh, is not working well, you get accumulations, and that's why it becomes yellow. In fact, um, to the point where like they can get where they're almost looking, um, yeah, the eyes will actually almost go fluorescent yellow. They get quite yellow. Tend to have it quite often, yeah. That's why they put them under the UV lamps. Because the liver still isn't quite functioning well enough yet. Uh, bronzing is a metallic appearance. Tends to mean a disease called Addison's disease, which is hypo or low function of the adrenal gland. Black and blue marks. Bruising is a representation of escaped blood from circulation with clotting. Uh, it can also be the deficiency of vitamin C or hemophilia. Uh, always think of a bruise as a cut under the skin. The skin's not broken, but the tissues underneath have been broken, so therefore they bleed. And the color of the blue, blue bruise is significant as to how old it is. So if it's a fairly fresh bruise, it'll look the color of blood. It'll be that dark purple. If it's quite a bit older, the first thing the body does is take the hemoglobin away, and the second thing it does is take all the iron out, and as it does, it progresses through different colors to eventually get that yellowy kind of green before it's broken down. So we see here red skin. So this is a condition called contact dermatitis. So this woman likely used a moisturizing cream that she's never used before. Does that not look like the pattern when you put moisturizing cream on? Does? Yeah, it's kind of... Right? No? Guys don't put moisturizing cream on like that? Okay. Well, it is. So what happened was it's just an allergic reaction to whatever she used on her skin, and it's just reacted to whatever chemicals were in that. Uh, over here, this is a condition called acne rosacea, and uh, this is showing uh, we're starting to treat it better. This is after her treatments, but again, you see the reddening and inflammation of the face. Blanched skin, some of us do it on purpose. Why is beyond me? Um, um, but you can also be, what's it called when you're white? Right? Actually, did you see the picture in the news last week there? Some some individual filmed two albino moose up in northern Ontario kind of walking down the highway. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So you can see here in this picture, this gentleman is anemic or got some issue with uh, vascularity. You can see that should be nice and pink, and it's not. It's actually quite white. 
right? So that's where we would look. Uh, jaundice, that is not a superimposed photograph. That's the kind of unusual yellow individuals get when, they're, when their liver is really shutting down and they're getting massive accumulations of bile in the body. It's almost fluorescent. See the color of his eyes? That's for real too. They get that yellow. Yeah, I, I, you can, you can almost think that they're, um, they're like East Indian descent or something like that. They get that similar color to some of those from uh, India, that, that, that sort of that area of the world. This is a picture of bronzing of Adson's disease. You see that bronzing kind of color at the gum lines, kind of unusual color. You'll also note how white the gums are themselves as well. Right, gums should be nice and pink. Bruising. Now the reason I do a little bit of bruising here. This is kind of normal. What do you think might be going on here? Okay, there's something else going on here. It is broken blood vessels. That's why it's bruising and bleeding there. But what might cause it to be that significant? Could be blood thinners. So this is likely an elderly person that's on blood thinners, and all she did was just whack it, and that's it. And this is what can happen. So again, when you end up in long-term care facilities, some of these individuals, and for you as well, in terms of doing your medication checks, when you're asking a patient if they're on any medications, if they tend to be on a blood thinner, doing frictions, guess what's going to happen? That. that they come back a week later and go, what did you do to me? And you're like, oh, my God, what did I just do? Okay. We're done with skin. That was quick. Any questions? Or was that just easy? Or am I just going fast? Oh, sorry, say it out loud. What did you just say? I heard someone say, I heard this, no, you're just going fast.